Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. We've been studying the book of Hebrews together, and for the month of December, we're taking a short break to look at some of the texts that are used in the book, uh, that are referenced in various places in the book, and this is one of them. Um, as we approach Christmas and Advent, this is appropriate to look at the book of Isaiah and to see uh, in this book the coming of our Lord. I asked you at the beginning of the service, if you could sing one song, what would be the substance of that song? What would that song be? Um, what would you sing to the Lord if you could only sing one for the rest of time, and, or for the rest of your time, rather, not for the rest of time? I mean, we know that heaven is infinitely creative and that there's going to be all kinds of songs um, that are written, and so to, to relegate that to one would be a little bit absurd. But we want to uh, examine this question in light of what the text says is the song of the people. So let's read together. We're going to read the whole chapter, Isaiah chapter 26, and then we're just going to dive in and pick apart this song. This is the song that is sung in Judah when God will swallow up death forever. Awesome. So let's read together Isaiah 26. In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. <coughs> Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith, may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the heights, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays, low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust, the foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous and paths and in the path of your judgment, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you for when your judgments, for when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of the upright, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. O oh Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them, O oh Lord. You will ordain peace for us. For you have indeed done for us all our works, O oh Lord our God. Other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring into remembrance. They are dead. They will not live. 
They are shades. They will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged the land. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. O Lord, in distress, they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them, like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs, when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light. And the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, into your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will, be, will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. In that day that the Lord defeats death, this is the song of Judah. This is the song they will sing. This is the song of praise to God in the day that the Lord defeats death. There's a catch here. There's, a, there's an interesting thing that we've got to wrestle with. Which, which day is it? Because we know in Christ Jesus, the day that he defeated death for me was when I trusted him. When he came and redeemed my heart and changed who I am. And he got me and pulled me up from the mire. And he made me his. That's the day that death was defeated. And yet, I know that there's a day coming in which death is completely defeated. When he will come back, as the scripture says, on clouds, with thunder beneath him, thunder and lightning rolling beneath him, and he will come back on a horse in a white robe with a red sash and a name written on his thigh and a sword coming out of his mouth and fire from his eyes. Own, you're crazy. We believe that here. This is weird. And yet I know that it's going to happen and death will be completely defeated. It says death will be cast down into the abyss. The dragon will be cast out eternally. And death will be defeated. And death has been defeated. So we live in the transition, the transitional understanding where death has been defeated for us. Indeed, Scripture says over and over that, that we are no longer under the dominion of sin and death, but now under the Spirit, that those who have trusted in Christ Jesus have been redeemed and freed and rescued. And yet that we await a day when the world sees it too, when everything is suddenly made to see it too. So we have to wrestle with that in this text. And Old Testament texts are great for this because they don't give you the answer. 
So you get to argue about it, and you get to debate, and you get to discuss it, and you get to you get to wrestle with it, and you always Christians always end in the same place, which is I trust that it's true. Don't know what it says, but I trust it's true. I don't always get it, but I trust it's true. Second thing that we have to wrestle with this morning before we even dive in is that this is poetry. Even in English, this rhymes. Did you hear some of it? Even in English, there's places where this rhymes. In Hebrew, it's got poetry everywhere. The whole thing is a poetic song. So as we wrestle with this, I need you to realize two things. One, death has been defeated in the cross of Jesus Christ. He has rescued, and if you have trusted in him for salvation, if you have, if you have put your faith in him and he has redeemed you, then he has redeemed you. If you have put your trust in him, then he has redeemed you. You are his. Death is no longer your master. Sin no longer holds sway over you. You are redeemed and rescued. You have been made whole in him. Indeed, he proclaimed it on the cross. It is finished. You are now slave to the Spirit. You are now slave to Jesus, no longer a slave to sin and death. That's the first thing we need to realize. second thing we need to realize is there will come a day when our Lord comes back and judgment lands on the earth. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, how you have, it's like being pulled over for a parking ticket or for a speeding ticket. You wait in that car for three hours for that police officer to walk from his car to yours. And you see judgment has landed But the execution of that judgment waits for the window. So in the same way, we await that window. We await God revealing complete and total victory. We have salvation now, and we await salvation then. So let's dive into the text, having that in mind. Remembering that this is poetry, and that some of it's going to be difficult to grasp. And some of it we're just going to speed past this morning because we don't have five hours to, to dissect every Hebrew word. Uh, so we're going to try to get a worshipful heart and see the Lord as we look at this. So let's look at it together. In that day, that is in the day when death will be swallowed up forever, that's the previous chapter. In that day, this will be the song sung in the land of Judah. Note, it doesn't tell you who's singing it. Not here anyway, it tells you who's singing it later. But this opening phrase is, this is the song that is sung in the land of the king, of Judah, where worship is done, where the Messiah lands. This is the song there. So this is the song in the land where the Messiah is. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. So we stop there and we see, first, we have a strong city. In the ancient Near East, this was really important. That you have walls around your city that would keep out adversaries, keep out people who would come and take your things. There, remember, there aren't cops at this juncture in history. What there are, are a bunch of people who live in the same area who are watching out for each other. And they've kind of developed kingdoms where there are mayors and rulers, what we would know kind of as city officials, who are helping to direct people to stand in certain places. There aren't necessarily standing armies for every city. 
Rather, when your nation went to war, you called all the men and said, we're going to war. And the men got their pitchforks and their garden hose and their weapons, if they had weapons, and they went out to war. And the city rallied around each other together. So cities were small entities that kind of protected themselves. You knew your neighbor and you were responsible for your neighbor. This is actually where a lot of the New Testament concept of a household comes from. You had these people living in close quarters together that we called oikos, sometimes called oikomenos, right, which is community. And we translate that in the New Testament often as household. Translate that often as household. So we, we see oikos or oikomenos, and there's households that live around each other, and they live in close community together. This is kind of the image of a city. So it was very important and very powerful if your city had walls with bulwarks on it, with things that, with towers that could be used to shoot enemies. This is a protected place, a city of protection. And it says we have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. And then there's this interesting thing here. Open the gates. Open the gates. So salvation is this wall and bulwark that protects us, his people, the people who sing this song, the people in the land of Judah, the people who sing the song, praise to the Messiah. This, this is played here. And it says, open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. So those who are righteous enter into this city. And the gates are wide open. They're open. And we proclaim that the gates are open. So those who are in the city are proclaiming, open the gates. Salvation is at hand. (laughs) Sounds an awful lot like what we do here. Open the gates. Salvation is at hand. We proclaim that to our neighbors, to the people we speak with. Salvation is here. It is present. It is attainable for you. It is saved. You can be saved. In Jesus Christ, the righteous, you can stand in the city of the king who has rescued. And you can proclaim, open the gates. Let the righteous nation come in. And so this this proclamation, let them come in, the nation that keeps faith may enter. And then there's this phrase here that explains what it looks like, those who keep faith and those who enter. This is what their life looks like. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. It says, you keep him, God keeps him in perfect peace. This word peace is the word shalom. And you've heard it before. Everybody has heard that word. It means peace is a good translation, but it means more than just that. It means completed. Complete. So it is complete. You have your mind stayed on him and you are made complete. So so we have here, you keep him in perfect peace. You keep him completed, whose mind is stayed on you. Mind is set or resting on you because he trusts in you. 
So there's this phrasing here where God says, where the prophet says that God keeps the man, woman, child, whoever, in perfect peace or completed. Keeps them completed and whole and makes them full. Then you've got the caveat, whose mind is stayed on you. So you are completed, you are kept complete, if your mind is focused on God, on Yahweh, the Lord, the Redeemer, the King, the Master. If your mind is focused on Him and stayed on Him, meaning it sits on Him, then you are kept complete. Now in a world where we are incomplete all the time, where we are constantly seeking to be complete by some sort of validation, either external or digital or personally, this is a powerful balm for us. That we are complete in Him. Let that resonate in your head. Let that resound like the coins. That you are made complete in Him. Let that ring in there a little bit. That you don't need something else to make you complete. That there's not some person, some rule, some practice, some activity, some device that's going to complete you. Rather, you are completed because He has deemed you His. And in being made His, you are made complete. So you have perfect peace. Mind is stayed on Him because He trusts. So we know that our minds are stayed on Him because we trust in Him. And then verse 4, we get the next exhortation. The first exhortation was to the city gates. Open the gates! It's our first exhortation. We are to open the gates. Tell everybody about the kingdom. Open the gates. The gates are wide open. Which is great, because that means we get in. If the gates were closed, it'd be over, and we'd be in trouble. But we can get into salvation because the gates are open. And then we have this next phrase, trust in the Lord forever. We have spent weeks talking about how Jesus is everlasting. How he does not die. And as the high priest, he is a permanent high priest who does not die. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So God himself, Yahweh... God is an everlasting rock. He is eternal. So we trust Him, not just momentarily, and not just in an instant, but forever. This ought to burden our lives to make us self-examine, to say, we are going to look at our lives and see, is this true of me? Does my song, my life song, does it show trust for Christ, Forever. Or am I swayed like a reed in the wind like Ahab? Am I swayed, blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine like those we are warned about? Or is my mind and my heart trusting in him 
forever. Do I exhibit my life as being one that has stayed on the rock of Jesus? I also want you to know that forever has no stipulation. There's no forever if. He's God forever if. There's no, there's no if. He's God forever. There's no stipulation there. There's no, there's no, well, I have to have this accomplished before he's God forever. He's God forever, 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 ever. You don't even have to trust him for him to be God forever. He's just God forever. It's who he is. His character is not dependent on your actions. He is God forever. And so we trust him forever because he is God forever. And look at what he says that he does. He he has humbled the inhabitants of the heights, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it. The foot of the poor, the steps of the needy. So we see injustice in this world, right? Do you? Okay, this is the song of when death is defeated. Now and later. We see a lot of injustice in this world. And even the song here is going to talk about the injustice that is seen in the world here in a few minutes. But we, we see this injustice in the world. And one thing you need to grasp is that Jesus flips everything upside down. The rich and the, and the wicked and the, the self-righteous and the, the people who are throwing piles of money into gongs so that they get the praise of men. The, the wealthy who have trod under their feet all the poor and lowly and have lived in ju- unjust lives. The, the poor who have stolen and decided that sin and wickedness is more profitable than righteous obedience to the Lord. These people, these unrighteous, seem to be victorious, but you need to remember that God casts these great high cities down. And he changes the exalted to the poor, and the poor to the exalted. Notice the feet that trample the great city. The feet that trample the great city are not the feet of an army, or the feet of uh, soldiers stomping through, in victory, they aren't those feet. They are the feet of the poor and the needy and the broken and the lame. When we get to heaven, when we see the kingdom of God, when we see the kingdom of God, we're going to be surrounded by the poor, broken, and the lame, wearing royal robes given to them by God the Father with crowns that they cast at his feet. God turns this upside down. God turns this upside down. Verse 7, The path of the righteous is level. Those who trust in Jesus walk a level path. You make level the way of the righteous in the path of your judgments, O Lord. We wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desires of our soul, our soul yearns, my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. So the author here, the, the prophet, now proclaims this song 
recognizing, it's moving from this proclamation of what will happen to what is going on now. What will happen, cities laid low, everything flipped on its head, the righteous lifted up, the wicked cast down. That's promised. It is sure. And then we go to this next portion where the the prophet very honestly approaches the Lord and he says, we wait for your righteousness. We wait for your judgment. We, We stand in the path of the righteous judgment of God saying, come Lord Jesus, come and make right that which is wicked. Indeed, as a church, we did that this morning when we prayed for evil to cease. You understand that's what we're doing. We're praying that he would come, that his judgments would come, and he would set right the things that are wrong in the world. We pray that life would be valued, that that love would be venerated and exalted, that perversity would be cast out, that disparity would be cast out, and that life would be brought whole before the Lord. And that he would be proclaimed glorious. And that we would, we would see his victory on the earth. We pray that and we ask for it earnestly. And the prophet is praying the same thing in this psalm. Look at the heart of one who has been made righteous in Christ. We wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. I can tell you that in my walk as a Christian, that has been the case. My soul longs for him and yearns for him. And the problem that I have had in my life is not that my soul doesn't yearn for him, but that I don't always recognize that. Instead, I stand and say, well, there must be something else that can fill that. And I try to grab something else. All the while, Jesus stands with arms open going, walk to me, walk to me, walk to me. And like a baby learning to take his first steps, occasionally I turn and I go, ah, and fall flat on my face. Yet God is gracious and good and picks me up and cheers me on. Keep coming, keep coming, keep walking, keep walking. And he keeps calling me to himself over and over and over. And the the closer I get, the louder his voice becomes and the more joy-filled my life becomes. Indeed, this is what the Christian walk is, that we long for him and desire him and we learn to identify that that yearning inside us is not met by something else, but is met by Him. The righteous walk on level paths. We bring His name to remembrance, and we seek Him even though the world doesn't. And and then we've got this general maxim, this proverbial statement there in the second half of verse 9, when He says, For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. When things go the way they're supposed to, I'm going to paraphrase this, When things go the way they're supposed to, people see God. That's the paraphrase. This is the paraphrase. Problem. Things aren't going the way they're supposed to all the time. Look at what he says. 
If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of the uprightness, in the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they don't see it. In this world where we live right now, the hand of the Lord is up and condemnation is coming. There is still time for redemption. Because Though judgment has landed, the execution has been stayed for a time. So the prophet Isaiah calls out and says, Judgment's coming! But they don't see it. They don't look at it. They don't don't even identify it. So, judgment is coming. But we see the judgment coming. But they don't. The world doesn't. Then there's this honest prayer here in the middle of the song in verse 11. O Lord, your hand is lifted up that they don't see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us. That's shalom again. You will ordain, ordain completion for us. For you have indeed done for us all our works. Right there in the middle of the psalm is this praise to God that you have done the work. This is, I just want you to grasp, this is hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. And the prophet Isaiah says, the song that you're singing is going to be the Lord has done the work for you. This was never plan B. This was always the first plan. God has not changed his plan. He didn't shift. Jesus has always been the goal. He says, peace you will have because the Lord has done the work. Oh, that we would trust in Christ Jesus in an everlasting manner. For he is everlasting. Verse 13. Oh Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us. Can you relate? Can you relate? I mean, you should say yes. We have a president and a Congress and a Senate, and they are awful. All of them, just to be fair. I'm, gonna, I'm not picking a side. All of them are awful. None of them are Jesus, so none of them are good. No one is righteous but Christ. Not making political statements, except that all of them are bad. <laughs> oh, Lord, our God, other lords have ruled besides you. But your name alone we bring to remembrance. When we think about salvation, we don't think about the government. We don't think about our rulers. We don't think about the American Revolution. When we think about salvation, there's one name that should come to mind. Jesus Christ the righteous. That's it. That's it. I appreciate good, hard-working I want to say honest, but there aren't any. Honest politicians. I appreciate them. I appreciate the work they do. They are not our salvation. Our salvation comes in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. So we remember him. They are all dead. They are dead. They will not live. They are shaved. They will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction. So the day when death is defeated, this is the praise, that you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. 
You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. So the praise is this, that though the world is wicked, God's kingdom will grow. Though the world come down around us and crash on us and rulers are wicked and they build their own towers and castles and they build their own kingdoms, God will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and nothing will stand in the increase of his kingdom. He is victorious. He will be victorious. And he is going to sustain victory. And when that faithful day comes and he rides in to redeem his bride, we will turn around and be amazed by the myriads upon myriads upon myriads of people who have repented and believed and trusted in Jesus. And we will join our song to theirs in praise to him. And our little drop in the bucket, our little insignificant coin, will suddenly resound with the praise of angels. I was, when I was, when I was little, I, I was part of a group called World Changers, volunteer construction group, which re-roofed houses at the time. I don't know what they, they do a lot of painting now, but there's, we were a minor, minor construction repair group through the Southern Baptist Convention and my church would go, and you would train all year to do it, and it was a difficult program, and you would go do it, and we would call our, it was called World Changers. And everyone had this back-of-their-mind idea that I was going to change the world. And indeed, we strove to that end, and we wrote songs about it. You can be a world changer. I don't remember anything else in the song. We sang the song over and over and over. I should remember it. We changed the words to you can be a squirrel chaser. <laughs> we were teenagers. So we went and we had this zeal that we were going to change the world and that everything was going to be different and we were going to, to change the world for Jesus. And as we've gotten older, as my friends and I who were in that group have gotten older, we've realized that our contribution feels often like the widow's mite that gets dropped in the bucket. And yet, how loudly that mite resounds in the eyes of Jesus Christ. How loud that song is proclaimed in heaven. And when we get there, we're going to look around and see myriads upon myriads upon myriads of people who only had a mite, who dropped it, in sacrifice to the Lord and whose song rings for eternity. Oh, that we could grasp the value the Lord has placed on our small offering, on our small surrender. Verse 16, very honest portion here at the end. It says, O Lord, in distress they sought you, they poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant and we writhed. 
but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth. This is a very honest plea to God that we have not changed anything. And the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. And then there's a shift. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light. And the earth will give birth to the dead. We know that in Christ we rise. We will rise to Him. And on the day when our Lord comes and sets everything right, we are resurrected in power and glory because of His great deeds, because of what He has done, because He has done the work. Because He has done the work. So we have this this call, this ending song call from the prophet to the people of God. Come, my people, enter your chambers. In other words, go into your room, shut the doors behind you, hide yourself for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. There is resurrection for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. For those of us who have trusted in Him for salvation, we will rise. And yet, for those who do not, there is judgment. Eternal judgment. And it is terrifying. And it is why, at the beginning of the song, we proclaim, the gates are open. Trust in it. Trust in him. And at the end of the psalm, we at the end of the psalm we proclaim, Go into your room. Because indeed, what's our chamber? Our chamber is Christ Himself, the rock that has been folded around us, that we might see the glory of God like Moses does. Indeed, go into Christ and wait for his return. So we have this beautiful song we sing now in the transition where we call to God to to come, and yet we proclaim that we rejoice in the kingdom. We say, come, God with us, come. And we say, rejoice, rejoice, for the Lord has come.